0: Good morning. Hey, we continue in our series, Follow Me on Discipleship. And uh, as Brian mentioned, we're in 2 Timothy this morning. We've looked at uh, the fact that disciples make disciples. Disciples follow Jesus. Uh, You know, the point being, disciples that aren't even finished, make disciples. And disciples follow Jesus no matter the cost. And disciples are leaders because they're so faithful in following that they point in a leading way to Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we looked at disciples are laborers, a labor of love with a shepherd's heart in a work that can't wait. And this morning, I want us to look at 2 Timothy, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men, men referring uh, generically uh, men and women, faithful people who will be able to teach others also. In Matthew 28, <clears throat> Jesus entrusted to his disciples what he did, discipling others. And here in Second Timothy 2.2, Paul entrusts Timothy to the same commission. It's a generation later, and that's a very telling. Because the setting is quite different, and yet the message is the same. The words, entrusting to faithful people, that's the language of stewardship. A steward. Paul uses in this passage, and we're going to look at the rest of the second chapter next Sunday. Because uh, Timothy has a number of pictures of faithfulness, of a mindset of faithfulness. And he looks at the soldier, the athlete, the worker, the farmer, the vessel, the servant. But here he begins with the language of a steward. Just before this, he said to Timothy at the end of the previous chapter, follow the pattern. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He sees Timothy as the man who he wants to carry on the work that he has been so faithful himself to carry out. Have you ever thought of yourself as a steward? That's key. That's everything. And now, a steward is one who manages another's property. Paul says in First Corinthians chapter four, verse two, what is sought in a steward is faithfulness. And he says in his letter to Titus, the first chapter, Verse 7, as God's steward. But he goes on to describe and to paint a picture of faithfulness. Sometimes we don't think of ourselves as stewards. In other words, somebody that God is entrusting something important to. That God is saying, You're the person that I want to use. You're the person. Not the other person. You. I want to use you. I want you to be my steward. I'm entrusting to you these precious things. The gospel. Your identity my presence, and I want to use you in the lives of others. That's sometimes hard for us because we always think, well, somebody else can do it so much better. And who am I? And we often think, I'm not very faithful. Well, maybe that's just me. Because it seems like the more sensitive we are to God, the more We become aware of our shortcomings. We want to be, so to speak, a person who has really earned the right, you know, in every respect. But Jesus is saying, right where you are, just who you are, I want to use you. Will you be my steward? And I think it's important for us to remember that a steward is is not defined so much as Paul pointed out in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. By what he does, that he does, he or she, but faithfulness, faithfulness is the key. That's the dividing line between mediocrity and excellence in following Jesus. Not eloquence, charisma, intellect, natural giftedness. These are are the things that capture our attention. These are the things that are naturally, understandably elevated in the estimation and appraise of our world. But the thing that catches God's eye is faithfulness. There's no limit to the things God can do with a faithful believer. Just this morning, uh, Ken, back in the booth, says, how are you doing? said, I'm just having so many reservations and doubt about what I've prepared this morning. I thought I had it all nailed, you know, and, and then questions start going through my mind. What difference can this make for you? Where are you at? Will this speak to you? Have I, you know, put things in a way that will really drive home something to you that I think is of great importance, that on this day, What's so special about this day? What's God going to do today? Sometimes these things are so routine, and yet this is the day that God has something to say to your heart. And I don't know that I have the masterful message to do it. The heart of it is that God wants to use you. In his economy, you're instrumental. Who you are right now is significant to God. And there's no limit to the things that he can do with you if you're willing to let him and be faithful. In all of these messages that we have looked, these passages we've looked at so far, here we are, so to speak, a generation later and I think it's powerful because Timothy is receiving the baton. Paul is trying to impress upon Timothy the importance, not just what he's to do, but that he is the guy. He wants him to fathom that. And if you read carefully, the previous part of this letter, which we call chapter 1, He seems to be alluding to maybe reservations. He seems to be heading off or anticipating maybe things that Timothy would use as excuses or or to kind of sidestep the responsibility or the fact that God wants to use him in this most meaningful way. Paul, in verse 2, gives us a picture, uh, the scope, the span of four generations. There's Paul, and there's Timothy, and then there are those that Timothy is discipling, and then there's those that those disciples will disciple. Each generation is significant. Josh McDowell wrote a book, this uh, last year, called The Last Christian Generation. The subtitle is The Crisis is Real, The Responsibility is Ours. And he writes on the first page of the first chapter, it's set off, it's highlighted. And he writes, I sincerely believe unless something is done now to change the spiritual state of our young people, you will become the last Christian generation. We're so plugged in to what's going on out there Friday, um, all over social media, at least my social media. Um, of course, I'm fully aware of what's happening in Iraq, Syria, and Iraq. ISIS. The president spoke to this referred to it as isil which is islamic state of iraq and the levant which involves syria and more islamic state of iraq and syria isis it is a most ferocious destructive religious expression of Islam. If you do not convert to Islam, they will kill you. You've seen pictures, if you've been watching the news, people lined up and shot. Christians, other faiths, anything that isn't Islamic. And the Twitter feed was, we've got to do something now because fresh reports keep rolling in. About Christians being beheaded and violated in every way before they're killed for their faith. And the plea is to not be silent, to do something. Tweet about it, write about it on Facebook, write your political representatives. Don't sit still. That's not the way my mind thinks. I I can add my voice. I can write something on the wall of my Facebook page. You can too. I can write something on a tweet and send it out there into the atmosphere. I could write my representative. But I think beyond the fact that I'm praying daily, and you should be praying too, what can I really do? I'll tell you what I can really do. I can pour myself into what God has already entrusted me to do more faithfully, more faithfully at my home, with my own spouse, with my children, with my grandchildren, and you can too, because this is the generation that will not survive Unless we invest, first we have to embody the gospel in a way that is authentic, that says this is real, this is bona fide, this is not something I do on the side, this is not a pastime or a craft. This is not something that's an extra to my life. This is who I am so that we express the authenticity of the gospel. And then in that, we are a a part of entrusting, but in entrusting, we're very conscious, we're aware, not just on special occasions, but in every opportunity. Now, I realize that we'll fail <laughs> we're just we're not machines but what if we were to practice being in the present and realizing that right here right now where i am sitting here there are people that i can influence for christ i can entrust something to them now this may seem so far from kind of the majestic ideal of making disciples but it is the mentality that that becomes the touchstone, the cornerstone, the essence of a disciple. That I embody this, that I entrust this, and then that I enable. Because when there is that receptiveness, we say, I'll give you that time. I'll give you that that energy. I'll give you the resources. I'll give you what I know. I'm going to invest in you and enable you with what I've been enabled to do by others. That's what I see Paul impressing upon Timothy here. When he begins by saying, you then, my son. They were not blood relations. There was a bond of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul calls Timothy fellow worker, true child in the faith, brother, and other expressions. But he calls him beloved son at the beginning of this chapter. He calls him you, my son. That expresses a relationship in which Paul has so embodied the gospel that Timothy catches it just like our kids catch, not just what we tell them, but who we are. Who we are. And if there's a generation that's falling away, walking away from the church, maybe it's because we haven't, as a generation, embodied the gospel. We've talked about it a lot. We've said a lot of you shoulds and oughts but maybe we haven't lived it in a way that says, this is the real deal. This is really the way I conduct my life. It's not just a lot of talk. You've seen me humble myself and ask for forgiveness. You've seen me sacrifice and give up my own interests to put the interests of another ahead of me. You've seen me deny myself. But sometimes the people all around us in our own household, our neighbors, co-workers, people that we go to school with, work with, people in our circle of influence don't see any evidence of Christ in our lives. They hear it, but they don't see it because it isn't authentic to them. Paul says, Timothy, you're my chip off the old block. You're my son. Back in Acts chapter 16, Paul found Timothy, who was a disciple. And he called Timothy to go with him. But he said, Timothy, we're going to go and we're going to speak to people who are Jews, and then to all the rest. But to speak to the Jewish people, you're going to have to be circumcised. His father was Greek. His mother was Jewish. That's a sacrifice. To do this, you're going to have to give up something. That's hard. That's a part of embodying the gospel. Sacrifice, submission are not politically correct these days. I understand that. But I can talk to you this way, straight up. Living for Jesus Christ requires sacrifice and submission to his lordship. There's just no other way around it. The first time I was asked to speak, I was scared spitless I have realized, maybe it's like when, when you go for jury duty, everybody, well, maybe not you, but who wants to be a juror? But then we get in there, and the solemnness and the responsibility washes over us, and we even think about who we are, living and enjoying such freedom and laws, and ideals, as are the inspiration and aspiration of this country. When I was asked to speak that first time at a church in another town, the awesomeness of the thing came over me. I went to see my pastor because I had an earring in my ear. And boy, back then... um, only pirates. (laughs) It was a very odd thing. That had not been an obstacle to my being discipled in that church and given opportunities. But it really hit me that that could be a real stumbling block to people who didn't know me and I didn't know them. And he just confirmed what I already knew. I needed to take that earring out. That was just kind of part of my rockin' identity. And we all know what that's a little bit about. And my hair length and my beard. Sometimes we're called to make sacrifices that impinge on how we see ourselves because really we need to be swallowed up in the identity of Jesus Christ, not our own culturally, socially, sophisticated, and constructed identity. Paul says of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 23, and he begins and ends 19 through 23. In other words, in verse 19 and verse 23, he says, I hope I want to send Timothy to you, but in the in-between place, in verses 20, 21, and 22, this is what he says. Listen to this. I would like someone to say this about me. I'll bet you would about you. I have no one else, writes Paul, like him, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, in other words, as a son to me, his spiritual father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy's the real deal. In the first part of this letter, he refers in verse 5 to Timothy's sincere faith that is without hypocrisy. He says it's a faith that was interesting. Your grandmother, your mother, and now in you, Timothy. You see, there's the context of embodying the authenticity of the gospel. Family, home, even church. By the way, we have a chance to invest, to embody the gospel in our children's ministry. Making a real difference in these children's lives. An hour and a half a month. We're short, 20 workers. Come on, people! I tell you, I would be there if I didn't have to be here. I hope you will. Find the time Be the real deal. In a world of fakery, buyer beware, posing and falsehood, people are disenchanted and cynical. They're pessimistic about real people. They don't believe they exist. They don't believe there are really heroes. If we only knew the truth, well, we know the truth. We are sinners. But we can point to one who causes us to live honestly, truthfully, genuinely, lovingly, in all the ways that own up to being who we really are, sinners, saved by the grace of God. That's what people are looking for. What's interesting is Timothy, when Paul says he really cares because no one looks out for the interests of others these days, but he really looks out for your interests. Well, earlier in that letter, just that same chapter, he starts off by saying, look out for the interests of others, not just your own. Have this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus who being equal with god emptied himself becoming a servant in other words he says the source of all of this is that we embody our identity the really the person of jesus christ in our lives that's the first step that's the we never graduate from that Living for Christ is a part of reproducing ourselves and making disciples. In trusting, embodying, in trusting. He says, What you have heard me say, what you've heard me say. There's a relationship here in which Timothy catches from Paul what it's like to live out the gospel. The difference it makes in your attitude and your outlook, even to the point of apologizing or saying, oh man, I blew that. I can do better in Christ. But there's also what we teach and express. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now that is huge. I'm the same in what I say and what I do in every church. And Timothy will remind you of that. Because He's a chip off the old block. And it was Paul who said, imitate me as I imitate him. Follow me as I follow him. Now Timothy's doing the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10, Paul says, Timothy is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. a picture of reproduction. Timothy couldn't just hand them a Bible. I suppose Paul could have written down in a letter and said, Timothy, pass this around. But he said, Timothy, reproduce yourself. Invest in others. Become conscious of the role that you have Because, Timothy, I'm passing off the scene. This is my last letter. I'm not going to be around. You've got to entrust to others that they, in turn, can entrust to yet others. This word, entrust, means to deposit what belongs to me in another's hands. That's why I say we have to embody it and be able to entrust it. Yeah, there's content, but nobody's going to listen if we aren't living it out. And again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about being real and turning to the Lord and trusting him, and taking steps of faith, mending fences, doing the hard work of being like Jesus in our lives. And that is sometimes hard, but it is so exhilarating when you realize you're growing and you have stepped out and followed him in ways that you wouldn't otherwise. Parenting is... I suppose, a rough analogy. We fail if we don't embody and model what we teach. We fail if we don't entrust, make clear the importance of what we teach and reinforce our values, beliefs, and how they make us who we are. You know, table manners, very important. How to sweep, very important to teach your kids how to sweep. Amazing, people don't know how to sweep you would think it would just be automatic. How to work. How to shake hands. Look people in the eye, right? Be deliberate. Be intentional about that. And do the same with your faith. Be aware of it, not in your home only, but out there in the world. Some of you need to look for someone to disciple. Let me invest in you. Let me give you some special time each week. Some of you need to ask someone else, hey, will you disciple me? I want to become like you. We fail if we don't enable embody, entrust, enable, the who, why, and how. I do it. I do it and you watch. I do it and you help. You do it and I help. You do it and I watch. You do it. We can do that at home and we can do it in the church. We can do it in the community of believers and we need to be doing it. ISIS isn't on our doorstep. I've been thinking about that a lot. We have so much. We're fat and sassy. Uh, you notice I say we, 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 not you, we. Shelley's business, Laura Wilder Plates, which is, not, this is not a plug, it just occurred to me it might sound like one. Her sister established this business, and there's a unique technique to making these plates. When people see the plates that she sells, uh, they see them and they think, well, how does that do, how do they do that? And they start to imagine how they're made. I know enough, not enough, but I know enough to know that, no, that's not the way they're made. That's not the way they, they're made. I've seen quite a bit, but Shelly's never really taught me the technique. It's kind of like a Kentucky, Colonel Kentucky Fried Chicken's, uh, Colonel Sanders' secret spices or the the secret ingredient of Coca-Cola. And she's hoped... She's kind of hoped that along the way, maybe somebody within the family, not just our immediate, but the extended family would would show an interest in the business. Um, Fifteen years ago, she was hoping it was really ready to go to the next stage, but she needed someone who had a sense of, I want to invest in this. I want to learn from you. I'm going to show the kind of faithfulness that it takes. She did with one lady, but the lady went off and started her own business. And now it's at that point where there's going to come an end to Laura Wilder. It's going to stop. It's not going to grow. It's not going to be handed off. It's not going to go into a new phase or metamorphosis. Become something greater than it is even now, because after Laurel died, then Shelley added her creative abilities to it and did things that were kind of a new step, a new direction, keeping together the the identifying uh, character of Laura Wilder. That kind of makes me sad. I think that's what uh, Josh McDowell meant. We need to appreciate that we do nothing more important than reproducing ourselves. But to do that, we have to have the mentality. We really need to let that sink in and not think, who am I? John can do it. He's better equipped. Well, I used to say that. (laughs) They're better equipped. Somewhere along the line, right where we're at, right with the people already within our sphere of influence, we need to become more intentional embodying the gospel and then entrusting it and enabling it. Look at your life and ask yourself, do I own this Christ-like status that God has granted me? Is my identity in Jesus? Is he the one who fuels me? I try to motivate, but I have to be self-motivated. That is my way of saying, I have to be Christ-motivated. That really is what motivates me. That's what has to motivate us. In trust, am I mindful of the relationships God has already given me, and I'm Am I intentional and deliberate in fostering and shepherding them as a person who has the treasures of life and then to enable? Where can I get to work in the business of making disciples ready to own this great body of truth and life? It just begins right where we're at. The precious present Whenever I get uh, down or discouraged, because you know me well enough to know that I, I track the news. I try to kind of stay abreast of what's, what's happening everywhere. It can, it, can, it can discourage you. Do you know what I'm talking about? You do. <laughs> and then I, I get small. I do, I get small. I say, where am I right now, John? I'm right here in this moment. This is the most important moment. This is the moment that counts, not a moment that hasn't materialized, not a moment that's under the blood of Jesus Christ. This moment, this moment in which I can trust my life to Jesus Christ. Let him be Lord right now. That's the only time. That's how we got to do it every day, every day. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray. uh, After I say, and all of God's people said, amen, I'm going to be up here along with pastoral staff, elders, and their wives as well. If you'd like to pray with me or any of the staff or others that are here, we invite you to come. Maybe God has put something on your heart that belongs to this moment, a moment when you need to acknowledge his lordship by bringing to him the needs of your life, of others that you're interceding for. Maybe it's to acknowledge what he is impressing upon your heart. You'd like to pray with us. Whatever God is doing in your life, if you want to enlist our prayers, With yours, we invite you to come. Let me close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We do love you. We aspire to be Christ-like. And we know that it begins with the step of this moment. Father, help us to walk like that, moment by moment, that's faithfulness. That's being a steward. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said,